Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Hey, take your Bibles, turn over to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, you actually showed up here. I didn't know if the trip to fam would cause you to sleep in this morning or something like that, or maybe it'll cause you to sleep during the sermon. What do you think? Yeah, some of you are already asleep, it sounds like, with all the, all the response we got to that. Well, Dawn and I, we got to go to her families down in Florida and have Thanksgiving with them, and so we had a Florida turkey, but it still tasted pretty good. It was, it was still a good turkey, but uh, it's nice when you don't have to cook the meal by yourself. You know, you don't have to worry about cleaning everything up. You don't have to worry about the house getting clean. It's really nice if you go to somebody else's house and eat Thanksgiving dinner. Now, Dawn has a little problem when it comes to cooking for a big group, and that is she is always critical of what she's done, no matter how good it is. It can be the best meal in the history of the world, and she'll still be saying, well, this wasn't quite done right, or this didn't come out at the right time, or are you sure that tastes okay? And my son finally says, Mom, everything is great. Just stop. You know, everything is really, really good. Anybody do things like that with you? Yeah, yeah. You know, you're always critical, never happy, always seems to be something not quite right. Well, in Psalm 32, we're going to see David talking about imperfection, and that imperfection is actually something that is a relief when we get around to admitting it and we stop trying to be perfect. Now, Psalm 32 starts, and it says it's a Psalm of David, and we're told it's a masculine. Now, uh, nobody has any idea what that means, masculine. Thirteen Psalms have that in the superscription. Uh, most people think it's some sort of musical or literary term. Uh, when you break down the roots of what the word actually means, it seems to mean something like enlightened, uh, uh, understanding, discernment, pondering. So this is a psalm that's supposed to help you ponder something really deep. It's supposed to help you understand something that you didn't understand before. It's supposed to enlighten you. So let's look at Psalm 32 and be enlightened, okay? That's what we're going to do as we look into that. And the first thing we see is this. Perfection will make us miserable, and it will never give us what we want. Perfection is going to make you miserable when you try to achieve it, and it will never give you what you really want. Our psalm begins by talking about the kind of person that God's going to bless. So who do you think that is? What kind of person do you think God is going to bless? Uh, somebody that reads their Bible every day, God's going to bless them. Somebody that leads a lot of people to Christ. Somebody that gives a lot of money to the church. Uh, who's God going to bless? Maybe God blesses pastors because they're so spiritual and holy. Maybe God blesses missionaries. Maybe it's Gideons, you know, that God's going to, going to bless. Maybe he blesses nursery workers because I wouldn't want to be one, you know, I know that. So maybe it's the people right in the nursery right now that, that are going to be blessed. Maybe it's youth leaders because they have, to, they have to put up with these guys over here, you know. So maybe they're the ones uh, that are going to be blessed. Who are the people that are going to be blessed according to our scripture? Look at Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. So he says the one that is blessed is a sinner. Now you don't think of sinners as being blessed people. Blessed is the one, the sinner, who finds that their sins are forgiven by God when they don't deserve it. 
Their sins are covered over. Their transgressions are hidden. So think about that for a second. Yeah, what does blessed mean? Someone that has achieved God's undeserved favor. God has given them a favor, a blessing. Who is a person that's received God's unbelievable favor and blessing? The person who messed up, did everything wrong, failed from the beginning, and God forgave them and restored them from the very beginning. Yeah, that's the person that's really blessed. Look at verse 2. He repeats it again in a different way. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. So twice now we're talking, okay, the blessed person is the sinner. The blessed person is the sinner who has found God's grace and has come back to the Lord. That's the person that really has found what blessing is all about. Now we think the blessed person is the person that doesn't mess up. We think the blessed person is the one that gets it all right and, and, and never has any problems. That's the blessed person. But that's actually a trap because none of us get it all right. None of us do everything that we were supposed to do. If we did, Jesus wouldn't have had to have come and died on the cross. If we could be perfect, if we could not mess up, if we could achieve the standards that God sets for us, or that even that we set for ourselves or our parents or our world sets, then maybe it would be okay, but you can never achieve those. Jesus came to die for your sins when you did not deserve it. The blessed person is the one that's found God's grace and forgiveness. But from a very early age, we're taught just the opposite. From a very early age, we're taught, we're taught be a good little boy and girl. You know, act like, act right, set up, use your manners. Uh, at school, we, we enforce it. You know, you get gold stars when you're a good person. You get hundreds. We keep grades. You get out, you know, if you do good, you're going to get a job, you know, that, that's really high up. You're going to achieve in school. You're going to do this or that. You're going to marry the right person, get the right house, live in the right neighborhood, uh, all of these kinds of things. And it's always based on our achievement and our perfection and our getting everything right. And it becomes a pit that absolutely makes us miserable. And so we have a cottage industry of things like self-help books and life coaches and things that are trying to get us to where we need to be. But we're really never, ever going to be because perfection is a goal that you're only going to achieve in heaven. And so we keep striving for that. And society tells us we're supposed to be there. But we're not a good little boy and girl all the time. And sometimes we mess up and we don't do as well as we should on a test. Or sometimes we don't finish the project at work. Or sometimes our relationships fall apart because we were selfish and petty and did things we shouldn't have done. Because we're all sinners. And we try to achieve ideals you can never achieve. For, for women growing up for years, the ideal was the Barbie doll. Do you know what the dimensions of a Barbie doll are? 39, 18, 33. That's the dimensions of a Barbie doll. If a Barbie doll actually existed in real life, she'd be so top-heavy and so skinny in the middle, she couldn't stand up. She'd have to walk around like this all the time. Not the greatest look in the world, okay, Uh, if that's what's happening. But that was the ideal people were trying to achieve. Cindy Crawford, the supermodel, said that she was in a store one time, and a lady had a magazine cover in the store with her on the cover. And she walked up to her, and she said, oh, my goodness, it's you. And she said, I would give anything if I looked like this. And Cindy Crawford said, 
I would give anything if I looked like that. I don't. That's been airbrushed and touched and retouched over and over again. Nobody looks like you think they do in the magazines. You know, those things have been pulled and trusted and everything else. By the time you see them, that's the ideal we're trying to achieve. So it just makes us miserable. Look at the end of verse 2. It says, Blessed is the one whose sin does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, what's the deceit here? The deceit is you believing that somehow there's nothing wrong and that you can be perfect. For David, this is a sin of of repentance. He's coming to God, he's committed some big sin, and he's asking God to forgive him. But David has built this facade of, I am the good, righteous king. And because he's the good, godly king, he can't admit he's messed up and done something wrong. Because then his people would think, well, he's not perfect anymore. He's not the good, godly king. And so for David, there was deceit. He was deceiving his people into thinking he was something he was not. And we do the same thing all the time. We try to fool people into thinking we're something we're not. We never have a problem. We're perfect. Nothing is ever wrong. We dress right, look good. When we come to church, all of our kids look perfect. And, and they get out of the minivan and they come in and, and everybody said, oh, look, it's the ideal American family. And they don't know you all been fussing and fighting from the moment you got up till you got into church. And then everybody steps out and plays their church person all of a sudden. Because we're not perfect, and it's not the way that it goes. Look at verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. David's conscience was working on him. David knew he wasn't perfect. He may be playing the perfect godly king for his people, but he knew he wasn't perfect, and his conscience was making him miserable. It was like his bones were wasting away and he was groaning all night long. Verse 4, day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. When he refused to admit his sin, when he refused to say, I'm not perfect, I can't get it all right, then God's, God's hand was heavy on him. God's conscience was working on him and making David feel miserable all the time. And there's two things that happen when we try to be perfect. One is we, we, we fake it and we act like we are and we think we're better than everybody else. And we try to be perfectionists and in control. The second part of the problem is we understand that we're not perfect. We see we're not achieving it and we just feel like we're useless. So you can either be a lying, arrogant person or someone who feels like you're useless and that you're never going to measure up. You never measure up to your parents, your teachers, your boss, your spouse, your kids, and you feel like I'm never, ever measuring up. And that's what we fall into, this trap that will never give us what we want and will always be miserable. Well, how do you know if you're a perfectionist? I have it right here from a study on the Internet. And you can look at this because the Internet is always right. How do you know you're a perfectionist? Number one, it's all or nothing. If you don't finish a project, you're miserable, okay? You go home, and maybe it's a three-day project. All you can do is the two days in between is think about it when you get home. It's all or nothing. Number two, you're always critical of others and of yourself because nobody's ever doing it perfect, and they never will, so you're always critical of yourself and others. Number three, you have unrealistic standards that nobody is ever going to meet. Number four, you focus on results and not people. 
It's not the people, it's the result that matters to you. Five, you're depressed by unmet goals and unfinished projects. Six, you have a fear of failure. Number seven, you are a procrastinator. Those two goes hand in hand. That you, sometimes you don't even try things because you're afraid you won't do it perfect. Number eight, perfectionists actually have low self-esteem. Did you know that? A perfectionist has low self-esteem because they're never measuring up to their own standards. Number nine, you're never satisfied and you have to keep, keep tweaking something no matter what's going on. You're never finished with it. It's never quite right. You have to keep tweaking it. And then number 10, the last thing, last thing of perfectionist, you can't trust anyone else to do it because they're not going to do it as well as you did. Okay, so there are some signs that you might be a perfectionist. And if you're starting to feel uncomfortable right now, it's because you think you're a perfectionist. You don't think you're a perfectionist, but you're beginning to see that in yourself. Now, here's the bad news for you. Two facts of life that you're going to need to understand. One, nobody is perfect and will never be perfect until heaven. No one, including you, are not perfect. You're not perfect. No one's ever going to be perfect until heaven. And number two, you're not in control of any situation in your life. I don't care what it is, how big or how small, you are not in control. There will always be something that comes up that shows you're not in control. Now, you can be in control of the major part of it or something, or you think you are, but life will always throw you a curveball. We're not in control the way that we think we are. No one's perfect. No one's in control. That brings us to the second thing that we see in our scripture passage. We need to admit and accept our imperfections. We need to admit and accept our imperfections. That's what David does in our scripture. It's hard to do when you've played the godly king that everybody's looking to, uh, that's written all these great songs about God. It's hard to admit you messed up. Then look at verse 5. Then I acknowledge my sin to you. I did, not con- I did not cover up my iniquity and said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. So there has to come a point where you say, I'm not perfect. Okay, I'm, I'm not. I'm not in control, and I'm not perfect. David finally gets to that point. He goes to the Lord. He confesses his sin. Now, the end of verse 5 is the kicker. This is where where it gets really important. Let's read the whole thing. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So here is David. He's been miserable. It's like his bones are wasting his way. His conscience is working on him. He's not the person everybody thinks he is. He's just faking it. And then he finally confesses to God. And what's he find from God? Oh, yeah, you're not perfect. You're not good enough. You don't measure up. No. When he confesses, God, I'm not perfect. God, I mess up. God, I'm not the godly king. I'm trying to act like I am. We're told God forgave the guilt of his sin. That's the person that's blessed. The person who messed up and came to God in sincere forgiveness and God forgave. Who finally said, I'm not perfect. I'm not in control. They gave it to God and God forgave them. Look at verse 6. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. You will surround me with songs of deliverance. 
Look at the change that takes place. Instead of being miserable, when they confess themselves to God, God finds them. In other words, they are no longer hidden uh, in their sin. And so what does God do? Mighty waters can no longer reach them. What's that mean? When you're faking it, when you refuse to admit you have no problems, then the mighty water of your problems are going to overcome you. But when you take your problems to God, he's going to protect you from the mighty waters because you're no longer saying, I can do it all on myself. I don't need any help. God, I need to go to you. He responds. He's your hiding place, we're told in verse 7. He protects you from trouble. I love the end of verse 7. He surrounds you with songs of deliverance. He surrounds you. He's all around you. You can't get away. Nothing can get to you. You are now protected because God is singing songs all around you. All of that that came from simply admitting that you're not perfect and that you do mess up every once in a while, it begins to change everything. Here's something that you need to hear, I think, that we all need to hear. You're not perfect in any area of your life. There's not one area of your life that you're perfect in. You're not perfect at your job. Every once in a while you mess up. Every once in a while you don't know something. Every once in a while you don't get it live. You're not perfect at school. You don't always get an A every single time. You don't get 100 every time you walk out the door. You don't know everything that there is to know. If you knew everything there was to know, you'd be teaching the class instead of being the student in the class. You are not perfect even as a student. You don't have the perfect life anywhere. You don't have the perfect car, the perfect home. You don't have the perfect body. You can exercise. You can, you can go to the best places to get your hair done. Uh, you can do everything you can, and you won't have the perfect body. You are not perfect in any single area of your life. I was reading a thing uh, in Us Magazine. By the way, that's a, that's a great theological magazine you might want to read somewhere on, on the airplane. Uh, because it was only 99 cents, and I'm fairly cheap, so uh, I got that. And it was talking about Hollywood stars tell you their flaws. And I thought, well, that goes right along with my sermon. I need to, and it was talking to who they said were the most beautiful women in Hollywood, and every one of them was, were insecure and felt like they weren't pretty. The most beautiful women in Hollywood all felt insecure and like they weren't pretty. Rihanna says, I hate even going out in public because now everyone is going to look at me and judge me, and I know I don't measure up. That's Rihanna. Beyonce said, I will never wear open-toe shoes because I have ugly feet. Okay, so right there, you know, so I start now to look at all the pictures of Beyonce to see if you can see her feet or something in, in sandals just to, just to see uh, what they look like. Olivia Wilde says, I know that people tell me I'm beautiful. I'll look in the mirror, and I just really look strange, which I thought was kind of interesting. And then Mila Kunis said, I don't care what people say or how many magazines covers I am. I know what I look like, and I am just ugly. Wow. Some of the most beautiful women in Hollywood, and they feel like they don't measure up. And so there comes a point of saying, okay, I'm not perfect. Then look at verse 8. Therefore, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. When you think you know it all and you're perfect, you don't need anybody to teach you. But when you finally admit, I don't know it all, I can't do it all, I don't get it right, then God can instruct you in the way you can go. He can counsel you with his loving eye. So don't be like the horse and the mule with no understanding that have to be controlled by a bit and a bridle. 
Don't be so hard-headed to think that you don't need any help and that nobody, nobody wants to know that you're not perfect. One of the hardest things in small groups uh, that we have at church is to get people to admit who they really are. And sometimes it takes two or three months of being in a small group before the person that never said anything finally says, okay, you know, my life's not perfect either. I finally understood that all of you were messed up, you know, but, but now I'm finally getting to the point of telling you I'm messed up too. That's a great breakthrough when people finally reveal who they really are in front of the people they now trust. Because we don't trust people with our imperfections. We tend to hold them back over and over again. So I want you to do something to humor me right here. I want you to get loose a little bit. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And now, I want you to start out and I want you to repeat something for me. Okay? I am not perfect. I am not perfect. I am not perfect. Now look at somebody else and say it. I am not perfect. Okay. Now who believes that of the person sitting next to them? Thank you. How many people believe it of themselves? It's very freeing. To be able to admit you're not perfect. And that's the last thing we see as we close. You'll find joy when you embrace your imperfection. You'll find joy when you embrace your imperfection. Look at verse 10. Many are the woes of the wicked. People who refuse they need God. People who refuse they've messed up. People who refuse to admit that they're not perfect. People who refuse to admit that they are not in control. Many are their woes. You will be miserable all the time trying to achieve a standard you never, you'll never achieve. You will always feel like you are less and worthless because you're trying to achieve something the world tells you you should be and you will never get there. Many are the woes of the wicked. But the, the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those who trust in him. It's that surround thing again. It's used twice. Surround sound. You're surrounded by the Lord. The Lord's unfailing love. That's the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed means never-ending, stubborn, uh, unfailing love. The Lord's never-ending, unfailing, stubborn love for you will surround you when you admit that you're not perfect and that you need him. That's the hardest thing for people to do is to say, God, I can't do it on my own, and I've got to have you. But when you do that, his unfailing love surrounds you. Verse 11, rejoice in the Lord. Be glad, you righteous. Sing aloud, all of you who are upright in heart. So now suddenly things have changed from the beginning where he was miserable because he was trying to achieve a standard he was never going to achieve until now he is rejoicing and being glad because of God's forgiveness to him. And suddenly everything has changed. Life has changed from a person that's trying to never mess up and always be good to a person that admits I'm not good, I do mess up, and God loves me anyway. Boy, there's blessings in that and there is rejoicing and being glad when we see what God has done. And what a relief it is. What a relief to know you don't have to be perfect. You're not perfect. To just give it to God. 
that God's going to love you and forgive you and restore you even when you're not perfect. So you do the best you can, but sometimes you mess up. But when you mess up, you know the one thing that's not going to stop is his unfailing love. And you know why it's not going to stop? Because it surrounds you. You can't get away from it. It's everywhere now because you've given yourself to him. What an utter relief to know you don't have to be perfect. The next time you're told you don't quite measure up, you say, I know, and God loves me anyway. I know I don't measure up, and Jesus died for me, and I've got amazing grace. I feel sorry for you because you're trying to achieve something you're never going to get. You're going to be miserable. What a relief. When Andrew was little, we were in Florida seeing some of Dawn's family. We were at, uh, at one uh, section of her family's, and, and they were afraid that, that Andrew was going to touch something in the house. You know, don't touch that, don't do that, don't mess that up. And so we felt tense all the time, you know, while we were there. Then we went to see Dawn's father, and we were sitting there. Andrew had grape juice, and he's drinking the grape juice, and we're saying, set up straight, get it close to the table, watch it, you know. And Andrew drops his grape juice on the ground. We're horrified because we just come out of the other experience. You know, we go, Andrew, what are you doing? We can't, oh my goodness, look at this mess. And Dawn and I are like freaking out. And Dawn's dad says, Andrew, don't let that bother you. And he takes his drink and he pours it on the ground too. <laughs> and he says, this is my house. If my drink's on the ground and your drink's on the ground, who's going to complain about that? Come on up here and talk to your grandpa. Now we still had to clean the mess up afterwards, but... <laughs> What a relief. It's okay. You mess up, I mess up. Both our drinks are on the ground. You don't have to be perfect. It's an entirely different thing than sitting around thinking you're going to touch something or move something or mess something up and all of the pressure that comes with that. And to suddenly have the relief of saying, you know what? God knows who you are. He knows you mess up. He sent Jesus because you mess up. And when you give yourself to that, oh, what freedom. Blessed is the person whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin is covered. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you that you forgive us when we don't deserve it. It's almost unbelievable to think about that your son took our sin so that we could be free. Father, help us to live a life of freedom, of joy, of gladness, of caring for others because of what you've done in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we enter this holiday season, I think maybe a good message is that we're not perfect because this is the year we try to, time of year we try to put on all of our, our good perfection. So maybe the first thing we need to do in this invitation is for you to just come to God right where you stand and say, Lord, I admit to you today I'm not perfect. I come to you as I am. I know you love me. And you just take some of that stress off right now. And you just give yourself to God and you admit you're not perfect to him right now. You can come pray at this altar about needs that you have, things going on in your life. Got ministers that would love to pray with you. You can come say, I want to become a part of this church and join this church and be a part of what we're doing to make a difference in this area of Louisville and in our entire world. And the most important thing you could ever do is to say, I want Jesus Christ in my life. I know I'm not perfect. I know I can't do it myself, and I need to give it to you. Take your forgiveness. Accept what you've done on the cross, and you come and you give yourself to him.
We are starting our Advent Christmas season uh, as we pick up. Uh, next Sunday will be the first Sunday of Advent, so our Christmas calendar will kick off. We actually have uh, uh, out at the Welcome Center a uh, uh, little hand- handouts, thank you, that have all of our Christmas schedule on there. It'll pick up this coming Saturday with our handbells playing at the Mall St. Matthews at 2 and Oxmoor Center Mall at 4. And uh, we are the only outside group that they are allowing in this year. Uh, so kind of neat uh, to be able to do that and be there. So two at St. Matthew's, four at Oxmoor. And then the, uh, the handbell concert is next Sunday night at 6 o'clock to kick off our Christmas season. Don't forget when you leave, there will be Gideons at the door. And they'll be collecting money uh, that will be used to purchase Bibles that will go throughout the entire world. Uh, you have something in your uh, bulletin that also you can do those in uh, a memory or honor of someone uh, as well as you leave. So those, uh, the Gideons will be at the door as you leave. Brother Larry? Come on up here. I want to do, first of all, Angela Lachelle Hall. And Angela comes to tell you this morning that she has asked Jesus Christ into her life. Is that right? Yeah. Angela, you know, you've just made the most important decision you'll ever make in your life asking Christ into your life. And we're so happy for you, and, and I know you're going to be celebrating in baptism later on, and we're just so glad you're here. You'll be praying for Angela, will you not? Amen. Amen. And this is Dante Shekels, and Dante comes to us. He's been visiting for a few weeks now, and, and uh, he feels like uh, that he, Jesus Christ is leading you here to serve at Westport Road Baptist Church. And, and we're so glad that you're here. We just enjoy being, you being here, and, and we know that you're going to be serving and be a part of our church. You'll be praying for Dante, will you not? Amen. Now, folks, our deacons, or some of them, are lined up over here, and they're going to be coming by and speaking to all these folks. And if you would, please follow in right behind them and uh, tell these guys that you're glad they're here and that you're going to be praying for them, literally. Tell them face-to-face that you're going to be praying for them. Would you do that, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way you work. We thank you that you are perfect and that we're not. The only time we will be perfect is when we get to heaven. Thank you for working in our church, for loving us in spite of who we are. Bless us now as we leave this place. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.